Before we get going, here's a little tease. Around this time of year, some of you in the Northeast begin to see flowers popping up all around you in the woods and fields. But no one planted them. So Eliza wants to know... Why do flowers grow wild? Keep listening after the episode to learn more. But Why is supported by Progressive. Progressive helps you compare direct auto rates from a variety of companies, so you can find a great one, even if it's not with them. Quote today at Progressive.com to find a rate that works with your budget. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. This is But Why, a podcast for curious kids. On this show, you get to ask the questions and we help find the answers. I'm Jane Lindholm, and today we're going to put on our windbreakers and our hats with the ear flaps and go outside. This show is going to the birds. You've been sending us lots of questions about bird migration and physics. So we found one of our favorite friends to offer up some answers. Bridget Butler is known as the bird diva around these parts. She loves birds, and she loves to teach people about different birds. So she and I met up on a windy, chilly fall day in Vermont on the shores of Lake Champlain in front of a flock of Canada geese floating on the windy surface. And our first question that Bridget helped us answer was from nine-year-old Jack. Why do geese fly in the shape of a V? You have to fly a really long distance when you're migrating, and you want to conserve as much energy as possible. If you stood there right now and you flapped your arms, and you just keep flapping and flapping and flapping, you're going to get tired pretty quickly. But if you work as a team together, you can decrease the amount of energy you have to use. So when you fly in a V, what the geese are doing is they're drafting each other. So they're kind of providing a windbreak for the bird in front of them. So they stack up just right, a little bit above each other and next to each other in order to take advantage of breaking the wind and then the wind that's coming off of the goose's back in front of them, which we call an upwash or an updraft. And they flap together and they fly together and, Jane, they take turns, which is really awesome. So that goose that's out front leading the way and breaking the wind will drop back and someone else will take that place in order to give that goose a little bit of break and a chance at uh, taking advantage of the updraft. But Bridget, sometimes I see geese and it's like kind of a V, I guess, but it's like a V if you were writing with the hand that you don't usually write with. You know, it's not really a real V. It's not perfect. And sometimes they're just flying in a line. Is, are they still doing the same thing? Yeah, so they're still doing the same thing. There are a couple different formations. It's kind of like a check mark formation, right, that you might flip on the side. The other one is called an echelon, which is just that diagonal line. But that's that same pattern, again, of flying a little bit off of the bird's wing in front of you. And you, we can't see it from the ground, but they're also flying a little bit above the bird as well. And if you're a human, 
we know humans use this kind of technique too. Often it's called drafting. You might see cyclists doing it. Like one bicyclist will be right behind another one. Exactly. And the other way that you can think about it is if you live in a spot where we get lots of snow, like we do here in Vermont, when you go out and you walk or hike in the wintertime, you want someone to break trail in front of you. And so that person gets really tired after a while and people trade out in order to break the trail and stomp the snow down in front of them so it makes it easy for everybody else behind. I hear a lot of geese right now. What's going on? Well, so we're kind of in a spot that you might call a staging area. So these geese are resting for the day. The other cool thing that we don't really think about as much, because we do see the birds flying during the day, is the primary time that these birds are going to migrate is at night. When the air is cool, it's easier on your body. And then during the day, you're going to rest, hang out, feed, socialize with your buddies which it sounds like that's what they're doing right now, um, and then get ready for the next leg of the journey. All right, speaking of journeys, we have another question. My name is Zaylin, and I live in Moncton, Vermont, and I'm four and a half years old. And my question is, how do geese know how to migrate all the way south for the winter? Yeah, so each bird, um, and this is true for all of our migratory songbirds, we get to this stage either in the spring or the fall, right, because they're migration on both ends of the season, where they start to get restless, and this thing kind of takes over their body, and they just know that they've got to move. It's called Zuckenruhe. What? I know. that <laughs> It's a mouthful, but it's a really fun word. Zuckenruhe is a German word for that restless kind of feeling that you might get. I think about it um, being similar to, like, if you're getting ready to play a big game, like you've got a soccer game coming up and you just can't wait, you're prepared, you've got all your stuff, you're ready to go. It's that kind of feeling. And birds start to feel that as the seasons change. So if you think about it, it gets dark earlier um, in the evening. It's dark when we get up in the morning, so we have this light change that's really different. And those are some of the seasonal cues that tell birds that it's time to move and also that it's time to eat. So these birds have to eat a lot of food in order to provide their body with enough energy to be able to fly. If you're a kiddo weighing about maybe 70 pounds, which is that's pretty average for a 10-year-old, you have to double your body weight before you get ready to migrate. So that means you need to weigh 140 pounds before you take off. That's a lot of mac and cheese. Yeah, I was going to say that's so much mac and cheese with a lot of hot dogs thrown in too. My name is Lily and I live in Virgins, Vermont. I want to know where birds fly to in the winter. They need to move from a place where they can, they're not finding the resources they need, food, to a place where they're going to find more resources. So as plants start to die off for the winter time um, and lakes and bodies of water freeze over, birds have to move. So there's all kinds of cues that kind of tell them to move and then this internal anxiety that sets in. And then they follow pathways that have been established um, by other birds. And it's kind of built into their genetic code. They know where to go. They get this restless feeling. Um, and they follow their buddies. These guys are going to kind of follow each other, the, the geese out here that we're seeing. And they follow common pathways. No matter where you are in the United States, you probably have a migratory pathway, kind of this magical thing over your head. Whether it's... So it's sort of like a highway, like a superhighway yeah. in the sky? Yeah, and 
highways have signs, right? And we have um, spots that are signs to birds. So they take cues off of the landscape. So here, Lake Champlain is long from like north to south. And that's a great kind of highway to follow to move north to south. Same thing with rivers. So we have the Mississippi Flyway right in the middle of the country so that birds can follow for resources as they fly south. Why do birds fly in groups all the time? Remember what Bridget, the bird diva, said about geese? The V formation helps them fly farther using less energy because they get a break from the wind by flying behind one another, and they take turns being the leader. But there are other benefits to flying in a large flock. Some birds just look like swarms. They may not fly in a V, but they're getting a big benefit from sticking together. One of those benefits is that with more eyes on the ground, they're more likely to find food. The bird diva says you should think of this like if you've lost a toy. If you're looking for it, it might be hard to find, but if you have all of your friends helping you look, you're probably going to find it faster. The other benefit is for safety. Have you ever heard the expression safety in numbers? Well, that definitely applies to flocks of birds. Think of small songbirds that are hunted by bigger birds like hawks or owls. If all the little songbirds fly together, they're safer from those predators than if they're off flying by themselves. Sometimes the flocks can change direction all at once and everybody flying together. That surprises the unsuspecting predator. Or sometimes they can confuse that predator with a changing flight pattern. Did you know that groups of birds have lots of different things they're called? Try using these the next time you see a flock. A bevy of quail, a bouquet of pheasants, an exaltation of larks, a murder of crows, or how about this, an unkindness of ravens. But wait, there's more. A murmuration of starlings, a kettle of hawks, a host of sparrows. I love those names. Coming up, more of your bird questions and answers from the bird diva, Bridget Butler. But first, a message for the adults who are listening. Support for our program comes from Oak Meadow, providing secular, student-centered homeschooling curriculum and a teacher-supported distance learning school for K-12. Oak Meadow has encouraged kids to follow their curiosity and uncover the answers to But Why for 45 years. To learn more, visit oakmeadow.com. Have you ever seen birds, maybe a charm of finches, sitting on a telephone wire? And maybe you've wondered, how can they do that when you've probably been told never to touch a live electrical wire? My name is Rowan, and I'm four years old. My name is Maida, and I'm seven years old. And we would like to know how birds can sit on electrical wires and not get electric shocked. Rowan and Maida live in Durham, North Carolina. Good question, guys. The answer has to do with how electricity flows or is conducted through different materials. There are two reasons the birds are safe. One is that they're not very good conductors of electricity. Electricity basically wants to move as easily as possible from one spot to the next. Those telephone wires are designed to do that. Feathers and muscle that the birds have... They're not designed to conduct electricity. So the electricity stays in the wire and doesn't go into the bird because the electrical wire is the path of least resistance. 
The other reason is that the birds are only touching one wire. If the bird had one foot on one wire and one foot on the ground or on another wire that had a different voltage or electric potential, the electricity would move through the bird from the wire to the ground or from one wire through the bird to the other wire, and that would electrocute the bird. So as long as the bird is just on one wire, it's basically safe. Let's go back now to the edge of the water on Lake Champlain in Vermont for one more bird question. My name is Mira Sen, and I live in Oakland, California, and I'm six years old, and my question is, how do birds fly? How do birds fly? Oh, Mira, that is a tough one. I got it. Okay, 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 okay. Here we go. See, even the experts need to think about these things. Here we go, Mira. Birds can fly because they are designed in a way to do so. I mean, and that's kind of the, the, the most basic way to think about it, right? Their bodies are shaped in a way to be able to fly. They have special features that allow them to fly and allow them to be able to take advantage of places that other animals can't. And that allows them to feed differently um, and to escape predators, too. So I think over time, birds evolved in response to those things, avoiding predators, be able to live in different parts of a habitat in a way that no other animal can. So having wings, having feathers, having a tail, and having feet that can help kind of provide all of those features that allow you to take off, to stay aloft in the air, to land, to stop, to turn. That's a great question, Mira, and you're going to have me thinking about that for a long time. (laughs) You know what I wish I was today? It's really windy, which you can probably hear in my microphone. So right now, I wish I was a hawk because you see hawks and other birds that are kind of the same shape riding the drafts and the wind, and it seems sometimes, Bridget, like they're almost playing. If I were a bird today, I would want to be playing in this wind. In the wind. And, you know, you bring up a really good point. We were talking about how Canada geese migrate at night and hawks migrate during the day because they need to take advantage of the wind, the thermals, the warm air that rises up from the ground and kind of pushes up into the air. Hot air rises. So that's a really great way to conserve energy. Um, and that's what hawks do. Um, I agree. I, I, I'm, I'm very swallow centric. Um, on days like this, I would love to be able to be designed to dip and swirl and dive and like catch bugs right out of the air with an open mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to the bird diva Bridget Butler for answering questions about our feathered friends. Speaking of birds, if you're lucky enough to own your own chickens, you'll recognize the sound of them pecking away at some food, giving them the fuel they need to lay their eggs. A lot of people get their eggs at the store, and the choices there are usually just brown or white. But chickens actually lay eggs in a lot of different colors. Well, one of you was curious about that. Hi, I'm Marina from Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. I'm eight years old, and my question is, why do chickens lay different colored eggs? Our producer, Melody Baudette, went to find an answer. Hi, I'm Kat Wright, and I'm the Family Program Coordinator and a farm-based educator at Shelburne Farms, a 1,400-acre working farm, national historic landmark, and most importantly, a nonprofit with a mission to educate for sustainability. Well, 
There is a very easy answer, but it's not a very long answer. So first I would say it just depends on what breed the chicken is. Different kinds of chickens lay different colored eggs. Just like different kinds of chickens, which there are a hundred different kinds of different chickens. So different chickens have different colored feathers, different patterns on their feathers. Some have extra toes. They have different colored skins. And just like all of those other differences, chickens lay different colored eggs as well. And so let's talk about some of these chickens that we have in front of us. What kind of breeds do we have here and what kind of eggs do they lay? That is a white leghorn, and they're a super popular chicken breed for laying white eggs. So all of the chickens that are surrounding us are breeds that are for egg laying as opposed to chickens that are very meaty for things like chicken nuggets and fried chicken. Um, There's also some ornamental breeds that were bred more for their fun appearance, such as our Polish Cresteds that have a really fancy feather dew on the top of their head. They tend to be a favorite among children. That is Tina, Tina Turner. And what color eggs does Tina lay? She lays a smaller uh, cream-colored egg. Now, a big chicken like the Bard Rock we're looking at is going to lay a larger-sized egg, typically, and they're going to be a brown color. And um, so do you know what, what kind that one is? We've got one in front of us. We've got a black Americana. Okay. And that is one of those chickens that's going to lay those beautiful bluish green eggs. And so I bet a lot of people didn't know that you get blue eggs because that's not really something you can find in a store, right? Yes. Typically you would find a white egg or maybe a light brown egg in the grocery store, the co-op. So other than blue, are there any other fancy color eggs that you can get? Uh, There's a whole spectrum, but typically they're going to be a version of blue, a version of white, as in, you know, cream or white or bluish or greenish or a brown egg that can tend to be a light brown, dark brown, or more reddish brown. And so what's behind that difference in color, brown versus blue? So in order to understand how an egg comes to be a color other than white, let's talk about how the egg forms in the chicken. So the ovary in the chicken, which is where the the tiny little egg yolks that you might be familiar with if you crack open an egg to bake a cake or to make pancakes, um, an ovary releases a little teeny, teeny, tiny egg yolk. And that egg yolk for the next nearly 26 hours is going to travel through a tube called an oviduct, but we'll think of it simply as a tunnel that connects the chicken's ovary where she's releasing this little tiny egg yolk all the way 26 hours later to her vent, which is where she not only uses the bathroom, but where she will lay the egg with a shell like what we see when we go searching for eggs in the nest boxes. So during that 26-hour journey, that egg yolk will continue to grow into the big yellow egg yolk that you find when you crack open an egg. And during that time, all of the egg whites, that clear kind of jelly-like substance that surrounds the egg, will start to form around the egg. And eventually the shell will start to form. So as the shell's forming... Maybe it will stay white, but some chickens, like the ones we we talked about, the Americanas, while traveling through the oviduct, little pigments of color will start to color the egg. So a pigment is just a natural dye that's formed in an animal's body or in a plant as well. In a chicken like a Welsomer that lays dark, dark, chocolatey-looking brown eggs, they have a lot of the brown pigment that will start to cover the egg and turn it brown. 
And then in a chicken like the Americana that lays bluish-green eggs, they have a, a blue pigment that will coat and then permeate, which just means to kind of absorb into the eggshell to turn that egg blue. One chicken can also lay different shades of that same color, depending on a lot of reasons. So a, a chicken that lays dark brown eggs, depending on how fast the egg's traveling through her body and through the little pigment painting zone of her body, uh, it could, if it travels through really fast, it might be a lighter color brown. Let's say she's laying as many eggs as her body will allow her, then they might be lighter in color. But if she's laying, it's, if it's the fall or the winter when chickens are laying fewer eggs, then those eggs will have more pigment. There will be more pigment to go around, so the eggs will be laid a darker color. And so what about these little chickens that are over there? Do they lay little eggs because they're littler chickens? Yes. So we have many bantam breeds of chicken, and those are usually chickens that are under three pounds or so. And I often get the question, oh, it's, is it a baby? Is it a chick? And it's always a surprise to find out that these tiny, you know, one, two-pound chickens are all grown up. And, yes, they do lay eggs just like any grown-up hen, any female chicken, and they lay smaller eggs. And so how many eggs does a chicken lay in a day? A chicken will lay an egg almost every 26 hours, which is just longer than one day. So a chicken... If she's laying as many eggs as she can, the chickens that lay the most eggs are going to lay one, about one every day. But every day it'll be a little bit later. And so if you have chickens, do they lay all year round or do they stop? Well, that's a good question. So a lot of chickens will stop laying eggs or lay very few eggs to the winter as the days get shorter and the nights get longer and darker. But there are special breeds that, like... Um, a crossbreed called a golden comet that we raise here on the farm that tend to lay throughout the entire winter. So they're a great breed to have if you really have to have those scrambled eggs for breakfast through the cold Vermont winter. <laughs> this is Pearl, a favorite among many. She's a porcelain-colored Belgian Dukla. And she's a little bantam. She's a little tiny chicken. She's one of the smallest chickens in the coop. She also has feathery feet. And what's that called when they have feathery feet? Cochin. So she, she has cochin feet, feathery feet. Also a difference among chickens. Different colored eggs. Feathers on the feet or no feathers on the feet. All different ways we can tell breeds of chickens apart from each other. <laughs> that was just a chicken poking my microphone. Thanks so much to Cat Wright at Shelburne Farms for explaining the mystery behind chicken egg colors. That's it for today. If you have a question about chickens, geese, or anything else, have an adult record it and send us the file to questions at butwhykids.org. If you have already sent us a question, we really hope we can have an answer for you soon, and we love hearing from all of you. But Why is produced by me, Jane Lindholm, along with Melody Baudet for Vermont Public Radio. Our theme music is by Luke Reynolds. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new episode. Until then, stay curious.
Remember our question from before the podcast started about how wildflowers grow? This time of year, some flowers bloom in the woods and only live for a short, short time. For our series Northeast Nature, I went for a walk in the woods with naturalist Jack Markoski to learn more about spring flowers. What I love the most about spring ephemerals is that they have such this narrow window of time that they are photosynthesizing and and appearing to our eyes, right? And so they're coming up from the ground after the ground thaws, so really short period all the way to when the leaves come out in the canopy. And that can change in the year and really make it a magical time to find ephemerals. Ephemerals are a type of flower that's short-lived. That's what ephemeral means. Maybe you can find some on a walk in the woods where you live. If you want to get But Why for your classroom or home study, sign up for But Why Adventures Northeast Nature. In this monthly series, we learn more about what's happening outside, and we have curriculum and activity guides for all students. It's free, and you can find out more at butwhykids.org nature. From PR.